The theme for the afternoon is the happiness of the form and the formless. We are sitting here in the meditation centre of the Thai monastery here in Saranath. In the period of uh, the mid-1950s, an Indian Buddhist uh, monk came here, there was no monastery here, it was just (coughs) fields. Prior to his ordination, he had been an activist, political activist, with the Mahatma, Mahatma Gandhi. After the independence of India, the freedom from the occupation of uh, 300 years of British rule, he came out here to Sarana. And in the old tradition, he put up his um, umbrella, wooden umbrella, and then you hang from it a mosquito net which hangs down. You throw there's a hook at the top, you throw it over the branch, and he put himself under the mosquito net, went on the begging round for the food in the morning, people would come to see him, etc. And that was the spark which has generated all of this. You will see, this is the happiness of the form here, the, I think it's 27 metres high statue there. So, with uh, Bhante, that means Venerable One, uh, Shashana Rashmi, statue is behind here, um, I asked him about the building of this statue. And he uh, said to me that he wanted to, to build it in the natural way of statues being built over the centuries, over many centuries. <coughs> So they collected the stone from what is referred to as a sacred mountain where the much, most loved ever king of uh, India, Ashoka, around 2,000 years ago, had taken stones and put, built these pillars with, in the villages and towns with sacred Dharma messages on them. They bought 569 blocks of stone from the mountain on the trucks and brought them here. And when you walk down the path uh, there, you will see some of the unused blocks of stone uh, there on the ground. And remarkably, there are only 10 of them. They knew precisely the number which they uh, n- uh, needed, yeah, pretty precisely. So I said to the uh, abbot, now pass from this world, I said to the uh, uh, abbot, what tools will you use, what tools you use, will you use, and use to generate, build this statue? So got, they've got 569 blocks of stone there, and then they have about 20 or 30 workmen. He said, we are not using any electricity. We are doing it the traditional way. And therefore all that we have is a hammer and a chisel there. And the foreman who oversees everything. And those of us who are coming uh, every year, I found my mind could not comprehend how they knew what they were doing. There was no graphs, there was no drawings, there was no measurements, there's no nothing. And they're just chipping away with nothing around there. And I, I just, you know, my poor Western mind is rather primitive and I just couldn't comprehend at that. And, and then I said to the, the uh, uh, abbot, we were talk, talking together, I said, look, they're chipping and chipping and chipping and chipping there. Uh, there. And I said, if they chip, and make a few mistakes, that block of stone is no use anymore. He said, no problem, they don't make mistakes. 
He said it's the same families, one to two thousand years or more, generation upon generation, who have been doing, doing this kind of uh, work. And then I said to him, how on earth are you going to get them up there? <laughs> and initially, with all the kind of the work and the, and the love, and I, uh, just to point out, we, we, I said, how much, roughly, roughly, for a block of stone, bringing it here, months of work on a single block to chip that, to fit into this huge jigsaw puzzle, he says, round about $300 for a, a block of stone when all the costs are taken into consideration, because it was working over years they were doing this there. So we, the teachers and the uh, yogis, the meditators, uh, we bought two blocks of stone. We gave a dana, a donation of two blocks of stone. And uh, the two blocks uh, we, we gave, our teachers gave $300, and the yogis, the meditators gave $300. And I said, our dana is for the lips. Because <laughs> that's the most important for us. <laughs> and others as, as well. And they got her at the. They started, they got a third of, this is true, a third of the way to building this statue. So, you know, up to the ground level, just before the legs start. They got that far. And then the council, bless them, in Varanasi, only in India, said, no, you can't have it anywhere near the front of the gate. It will distract the drivers. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> distract the drivers like nothing else would <laughs> so they had to take it all down and then move 569 blocks of stone plus the tent right down to the other end of the monastery and down to the, down to the uh, uh, end there and then I said to the abbot well, how on earth are you going to get it up without machinery he said bamboo, bamboo poles and rope <laughs> and when they built it they actually the first thing they completed was the head and about ten years ago a um, uh, Dieter who is a, runs a German documentary film kindly did a documentary about my uh, uh, travels around the world and blah 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 and so the cover of it is Christopher standing there beside the head of the Buddha that you see at the top there when it was on the ground because that was the first thing they wanted to, to finish and they moved it and when I would come each year I think my god the risk you know bamboo poles huge rock granite lifting it up with guys underneath <laughs> and uh, slowly slowly the jigsaw puzzle started to come together no plans on the ground no maps no measure I just you know sometimes we think oh we're so advanced we know what we're doing but well sometimes the they know they talk together, they know what they have to do and it fits together. And rather similarly, two or three beautiful buildings were built in the Thai monastery uh, in uh, Budgaya, which I hope you'll go to, to be with beloved Radha and her teachings there. And the abbot said to me, uh, I said, said to him, who's your architect for putting this together? He says, I am. I said, oh, you went to architecture school? No, of course not. He said, I just watch. Uh, here, here, here. Do this, do this, do this. A few little drawings, and they do it. When we finished our first building of our school uh, there, just for everything, we had a list of the number of bricks which were used precisely and the number of buckets of concrete which were used. I kept an eye on the detail and everything and one person was just checking everything. 
so that everything got used, etc. I just use this as very small but important uh, examples of the power of cooperation, the sharing of knowledge, in this case, which goes back very, uh, generations, the importance of creativity, and the happiness and uh, the beauty, actually, of the uh, outcome uh, of, of things. And this sense of people cooperating, working together, with a vision and a, and a project, and then out of that can come these precious uh, uh, for, formations. And human beings, as we know, have this remarkable principle in the deep of the being of the creative, and the creative to generate uh, 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 hap uh, happiness uh, there. In the end, I think most of us agree, we actually prefer the statue down at the other end uh, there because of the long view uh, that one can get from it and seeing it sometimes in the day and in the night and in the moonlight and the early morning many faces we might say of, of, of the presentation when we come to ourselves small temples on the earth we might say living expressions of the evolution of uh, nature there it's valuable and important and very important really, to be able to recognize what generates and brings out happiness in the being there. And the Buddha spoke of it outwardly and inwardly. The outer, he said, a person who is deeply interested in the significance of happiness, she or he, will engage before any important actions in four reflections. So one who feels that happiness, obviously, is so important for human existence, will engage in some reflection around happiness in anything, any kind of action that we do. We'll consider it before we do something. And I mean, it's very simple... Uh, this, but are rather important. Is that which I do, happiness includes the, the, the welfare, the support, uh, the benefit, the, the joy, etc., to reflect before I do something, before I say something, before I act, is that which I do for the happiness of the other? Happiness being a broad word, well-being, support, kindness, fr uh, friendship, joy, delight, sweetness. Is that which I do for the benefit of the other? That's one. The second is, is that which I do, the engagement, the action, which, which I do, is that which I do, is it skillful? So not only is it beneficial for the other, but the means, the motivation, <coughs> and the, what I actually do, is it, is it a skillful process? That's the second that one has to... Uh, there. Um, uh, the third, with all of this, is am I able to look at my intentions about what I do? I might wish to bring happiness to the other, whatever that might be, but I, I need to be clear about my in, uh, intentions. Is my intentions genuinely a trust in the benefit and the importance of happiness in life, because human beings do deeply wish to be happy? Or is my intention, yes, to give happiness, but there are other ulterior motives going along with it? To get something back, to uh, get name and fame, to be important, to make money at it, or whatever it, uh, whatever it might be. So when looking at, is it contributing to the happiness? Is the means skillful uh, for the other? To be able to really check in with our uh, intentions in the movement into the act, uh, action. And in the fourth one, it's that uh, re recognition uh, 
there and being clear, am I attached, that means dependent on, the outcome? Very important. How so much of our life is around success and failure. So much of our life is succeeding. If, if at any times, both here and elsewhere, in this exploration of happiness, you might be experiencing, or meditation or mindfulness, experiencing some uh, frustration, it could possibly be owing to dependency on success and feeling I'm not getting what I want, I'm not being successful in what I do and success is the outcome, the view that we have and we're getting that success in our practice and that generates this frustration and the frustration then generates a sense of I, 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 I'm not succeeding, I'm not doing very well, I'm not going anywhere and all of that impact is eating away the happiness. It's dissolving the happiness moment by moment because of the frustration. So that fourth one is a, an important aspect of the relationship to happiness in which the exploration of happiness is in the event. You understand? In the movement. It's not about succeeding. Not about, oh, it's going to really work out for her or him or them or, or, or that. It may or may not. There are many other factors beside ourselves. And as the Buddha uh, commented, a human being is known in this world by what they do. A human being, a person, you and I, we are known in life by our actions, by what we do in this world. This is the way that people kind of know e each other. And therefore that encouragement for happiness, inner and outer, just to stop and say, okay, where, <coughs> how is the intention? Is there the skillful means? Am I quite clear it's for the happiness or the well-being or the health or whatever for for the uh, other other person. How's the relationship to the outcome uh, of this? Is our happiness and peace of mind dependent on always trying to succeed? And if we pick up, as I mentioned a moment or two ago, some frustration, whatever it might be about, is it an indication that we're not getting what we want, we want, we are dependent on the outcome? The happiness of the form and the expiration of the form uh, 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 happy, is to uh, recognize that and in the uh, uh, instructions I give uh, uh, tomorrow uh, uh, morning it, it applies uh, uh, equally and since happiness is such a, a valuable and you know, deeply precious uh, uh, human, human uh, experience there then we do need to know what contributes to our happiness uh, uh, in life and what some of the experiences of it are and what I've got in mind here three areas to uh, give attention uh, to so sometimes with the happiness which uh, arises it comes from reflection and it really, sometimes, you and I look back at a recent situation. We might reflect on a, a current one with another person, or person, or place, or environment. We might have a reflection which senses some potential in life to offer something, to generate something, to give something to uh, others. So reflection can come about what happened recently, that formation, that event, reflections about something present in their life, persons, persons, places, reflections around the future there. We can, and it's valuable and important,
to be able to give some time while we're here, not only to being in the present moment, that's just an aspect of these teachings, but to see what touches us, what warms the heart, what, what brings the, some happiness to us. So sometimes it comes from reflection. And reflection is really uh, a precious aspect uh, uh, of this. It also has another aspect to it, this happiness. When our inner life is rather obstructed, you know, <coughs> thoughts about me and my, what am I doing with my life? And what am I going to do with my life? What have I done with my life? All this goes on with the poor meditator's mind uh, reg- uh, regularly uh, enough. The difficulty is with it, with all the thoughts and the views and opinions which arise, what also arises with it, the desire to get rid of it. I don't like this going on inside of me, I don't like this obsessing, I don't like all these thoughts, I don't like all these ideas. And then I want to get rid of them. The desire to get rid of them is the parallel of saying to oneself, I want to put this fire out, I think I'll put some more wood on it. And one wonders, why is it? I've got all these thoughts and ideas and moods and going on, and I really want to get rid of them, or I might use some spiritual language, I want to let them go. Uh, I want to get rid of them, I want to shutter them, I want to nuke them, blow them away, let go of them, Dis- what's a nice fancy word, dissolve them, that's another one, dissolve. Uh, and this is a lovely idea, useless, just a waste of time, it's just another thought that's uh, arising, it's a nice clever thought that make us, you think the mind is going to say, oh yes. Now I know you want to let go, so I'm just going to let go, and you're going to be liberated here and now. Do you mind going to take any notice of these lovely spiritual, oh, I think I'll let go of this. I said, screw you, I'm going to go on like this. Whatever. Excuse the vernacular, but you get the point. So sometimes, in this, rather than just the old pattern, I should be able to let go now, I've been practicing for the last blah, blah, blahs. It might be, it could be, as an exploration, not as an answer, as an exploration, do I need to recognize and appreciate, which can bring that happiness, that which my problem, my difficulty, my self-hate, my confusion cannot reveal? Can I just have enough power of the mindfulness to switch over so to speak, and it's not repressing the old, by the way, to switch over, say, can I acknowledge that which has come out of the being which is healthy and gives me happiness? And the, the, the teachings with the Buddha has recognized and, and has used the words fairly regularly, gross and subtle. Gross, not gross in a negative way, but gross in a bigger or external way. Sometimes, while we are kind of lost in all that, going on in, in, inside of one, oneself, we may, the gross may, would mean here, we're losing a sense of the bigger picture of our being, the bigger picture. Some of you have moved mountains, metaphorically speaking, to get here. Some of you have made remarkable changes in your life to explore, to inquire, to to travel uh, there. Some of you put a tremendous amount of experience and knowledge in here. I'm speaking to one of you here, who's rather impressive, has travelled to 90, 90, not 9, 90 countries. Sometimes people have a sense of this world, I want to feel this world, I want to be in this world, explore different uh, places. And some of you have 
made extraordinary commitments for the service of others as teachers and psychotherapists and sociologists and environmentalists and psychologists and Dharma teachers, should include us, and a few others as well. And how easy this going on inside, it hides that. It's, it's a failure to appreciate and be happy at the bigger picture, which the Buddha called the gross, the bigger picture, same as the bigger picture. And that happened because there was enough wisdom, fearlessness, adventure, determination, passion, love for, to make something happen worthwhile in your life. And we, at times, need to really remember this, to recognize, as the, the Buddha commented, he said, all those who came to a real, truly liberated way of life, all, this is called a generalization, but it's a good one, all, because all without exception, engaged in reflection. All looked at themselves, all reflected, all recognized that which had emerged out of them, not in an egotistical way, but as the Buddha comments here, he says, if you want to know truth, you have to live very close to the facts. Because they can't be separated. If the fact is that you stepped out of some form, wherever you or I may come from, the form of the marriage for a while, the form of the relationship, the form of the study, the form of the job, the form of the travel. Even if it gave you a lot of happiness, which is precious, and you stepped into the form called the retreat, the form of the retreat allows us to explore the immediacy of life, but it allows us to reflect on that which brought happiness to us. And, and don't let your complaining, moaning, and utterly irrelevant little mind get, get in the way of the acknowledgement of the happiness. That's all. Simple. There are times with the happiness the meditative happiness, the uh, mindful uh, happiness, which is important, and in, uh, which is in the subtle, and in that there are varying degrees of it, shall we say, with the subtle as well. And what I uh, mean by that, sometimes without the reflection, some happiness comes it may just be the happiness of the silence and the aloneness and just on that point for a, a, a moment uh, to again speaking uh, with some of you over the days uh, here there is something really precious about aloneness there's something about aloneness which is really deeply important and I feel deeply important for the creative impulse deeply important to be close to, to, th uh, to things I just had a lovely uh, uh, email from a friend who was actually uh, a couple of years ago was sitting right in the front row here where uh, Marco is sitting uh, at, at, the, at the moment and uh, she's one of these uh, in my world one of the goddesses and what I mean by that, lives in her late 30s, uh, now living just a few minutes' walk from uh, my, where I live in Totnes in Devon, and loves her aloneness. Not in a clingy kind of way, but in a, a kind of uh, presence about her. And one of the things that she uh, does is go on these long, 
and short solitary walks in the wilderness. Goes out on Dartmoor, not far from my uh, uh, home, and walked uh, alone in the Himalayas and uh, in the highlands of Scotland and, and many other places. And not in tracks, he just walks. Right out there in the middle of nowhere, she just walks. Uh, there. So I just had four or five photos. And at the moment, she's um, out there in the middle of nowhere, in some island off the coast of Africa, Tenerife, one of these other I islands there. And she sent me some photographs there. And I looked at them looked at, and I went, wow, wow. And she said, Christopher, Last night, I walked all day and there was not a single flat place to lie down to go to sleep. Oh, it can be pretty rough out there. Not a single spot which was flat to lie down to sleep. Some people have just got the, some spirit about them and know it's challenging and uh, difficult and when she, I looked at the photographs and went, whoa though it is challenging and difficult that sometimes with women and men on this uh, earth there is a happiness despite the challenge and the difficulty despite others saying you're mad and incidentally if people parents especially, and others, you really want to do something, it's got some adventure to it, and they say to you, you're mad, please remember this, you're on the right track. <laughs> that is, to me, that's the confirmation. When society says this is absurd, this is ridiculous, you're right, you're on the right way. <laughs> Anything that society says, we say something different. We want some adventure, we want happiness, we want to explore life, we want some uh, live, we want to live there. So in that there, sometimes quietly in our meditations, as a small example, some happiness comes and the discourse, the mindfulness of breathing discourse, it says this kind of happiness which comes, one expression uh, of it, Many expressions, of course, just happiness. Happiness to be alive, happiness to be here, uh, happiness of some beautiful people around and much more. The happiness which comes in its gross and subtle now, in its gross expression, that happiness is felt through the body. It's a strong happiness and it's felt through the body. Maybe the happiness that seeing somebody that you haven't seen for uh, a, a long time. I remember a year ago uh, mentioning in the hall here of a friend sitting on that underground zoo in London on a Monday morning. Uh, the, the underground uh, tube taking people in this direction and then that direction. This direction. So sitting on that packed towel, everybody is miserable because it's Monday and he looks up and he saw the first, when he was a teenager the first young woman, teenager that he had fallen in love with and there she was in the same while everybody else was doing their text messages reading the newspaper, whatever and hadn't, he's in his thirties, and so is she. They're a boyfriend and girlfriend in their mid-teens. And he looks up, looks across, and they, the eyes catch. And no, he hardly had a thought about her in all of these years. He said what was extraordinary about it was that in the moment of the contact there, the energy out of, oh God, it's another week in the corporate world, or whatever, and in that single moment, one eye contact, boom, and this bliss 
rapture, joy, delight. Whoa! There. And then they're going for the, for the telephone. And then after hearing all of this story, he said, marriage, he's married with two kids and happily married. It's a hard life, you know. <laughs> what can one do? The feeling of the bliss, the joy and the happiness, sometimes coming out of that contact. Sometimes the happiness in the body, in the meditations, in the mindfulness of breathing, we can feel the cells of the body responding. This is called the uh, gross happiness. Uh, pity is the Pali word. Sometimes that happiness is refined. And with our mindfulness and our meditations and our uh, ref uh, reflections, it's the subtlety is, can I have enough subtlety in everyday life just to pick up the modest, small ev events which touch me, which generate and bring out the feeling of happiness? Memory, present moment, some potential for the future. And these moments of happiness, they are precious and powerful because they nourish us we can't live without happiness. We're dead creatures, spiritually, culturally, personally. The happiness, the vitality uh, of it. But it has to be known and recognized. It has to be felt. It's a feeling. It, it needs to uh, touch us. Years ago, when I was uh, in the monkhood, after some years in the uh, in the monastery with the uh, we passed in our uh, meditation, <coughs> I um, went to this uh, island. This is 1973, Koh Island, and I'd heard of a a cave on the island, an empty cave. Monks have quite a lot of discussions, I should add, about caves. It's like people who discuss hotels. You know. So monks have cave discussions. <laughs> so there are these one, two, three, four, five-star caves. <laughs> I was in a, a five-star. And you probably might want to be interested in what the differences uh, there. So there are about four or five qualifications to have the monk's approval for a five-star cave. One is it's got to be a room with a view. <laughs> really, really important. You so you can, you've got the cave. You can look out. So on Koh Pangang Island, they looked out above the coconut grove, which was down in the valley, and out to the sea. That's that stuff. <laughs> uh, the the uh, second aspect, of course, it's got to be very silent. Uh, I went back to Koh Pangang last year. <laughs> not quite silent, I have to say. Full moon, definitely not silent. <laughs> All right. When I was on the island, I was like, dare I say, king of the island, because I was the only Westerner on the island, etc. Rather sweet days wandering through the forest and all the solitude of it and the silence of it. And then the, the, the third aspect of all of this, of the bringing happiness to the form in terms of the cave, that there are not too many snakes, spiders and scorpions uh, 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 around. There were a few around, I have to say, just to give you a small uh, incident. I was in the middle of the night, and I was sitting outside the cave on the ledge and there was a tree there. And so this, you know, like us we're doing here, just sitting, doing my sitting meditation, whatever, one, two, three in the morning, uh, there. And I heard this 
And I honestly thought it has to be a human. Psst, like that. I just kept sitting there. What's going on? I just kept my eyes closed. And then I uh, opened my eyes, and the snake was on the branch. It was hanging down, and its eyes was right there. Eyeball to eyeball, we were at the two of us. Whoa! <laughs> Literally arm's length away, looking at each other. In all sorts of ways, rather sexy. And, and we're just kind of looking at each other. And I just knew. knew. And my, my concern was there that if it was a rat snake, those of you who know about snakes, it's fine. They're, they're non poisonous, etc., and rather curious creatures. But they can look, especially in the dark, very much like a cobra. And then it's another ball game. Uh, there, and I was looking, my eyes wide open, not going to move a centimetre uh, there. Well, we just looked at uh, each other and, of course, trying to find some loving kindness while I'm doing it. And while uh, looking, I'm just trying to see the scales of the skin, <laughs> rat, snake or cobra, because cobra can be even more mindful. Uh, it turned out to be a, a, a rat, snake. In the, after some time, uh, the beloved snake got bored with me and wandered up, back up, back up into the tree. But I just use it. Sometimes there are moments in life and, uh, there where there is a meeting with the creature, yeah. and in that meeting with the creature, it's a, it's, it has an extraordinary intimacy uh, uh, to it, and an immense sense of love and appreciation for this connection that we have as creatures uh, with a, a fellow uh, creature there and, and a closeness that can go with it. Um, 40 years later or more, the story is being re re repeated. It's it, just a small indication in life that sometimes the incident, a little, a little, not much danger, but a little, little a danger, but the incident is a spark and the spark goes deep and it stays with us and in it staying with us, it can transform uh, a way of looking and respect for creature life uh, there. And, and then say our aloneness provides, and our silence, I think it was about nine months in the, uh, uh, the cave there. Oh, the other aspect of well is that one can go down to the village and have some food put in the begging bowl. That's uh, uh, another one. And our aloneness and our silence, though can be a bit difficult, of course, and a bit confusing, but a certain happiness in the aloneness can come, and the happiness permeating in the being, feeling happy in the aloneness, generates this calm dwelling or being, which then contributes to something coming through, emerging. Something unknown, unimagined, moving through and in some way opening or expanding our life uh, there. And I do recommend, like we're doing here, that finding some solitude, that means some noble silence and some aloneness, doesn't have to be for a long period, will give some quiet inner strength to the being. And that connectedness which can then allow and enable that, as, as some of our poets have said, that there's a beautiful statement, oh, it's such a heart warmer, um, from that, uh, the, the Little Prince, this uh, beautiful uh, story written in the uh, 1940s of the guy who, in the fiction, crashes in the desert. He's experiencing his aloneness. And then he meets the little prince. And the little prince has precious insights and <coughs> wisdom and sharing with the pilot there. And of the many lovely deep lines uh, in it, uh, one of them, he says, 
something, I can't remember the exact wording now, but that which is most precious or most important in life, we cannot see. That which is most precious and most beautiful, I can't remember the word used, but the most deep and the most profound is that which we cannot see. And sometimes the, the truth of something in our receptivity, sometimes we read something like that and, and go, and the whole being has a whew, happiness about it. Wow! What a statement! What a, what a precious thing to contemplate on! One of the lovely tenants in the cave, before I was at the cave, was an American from San Francisco, and his name was Emmanuel Sherman. Emmanuel is rather a nice name, it means God be with us. And Emmanuel Sherman was a, a Zen monk, and he and a Zen nun travelled to <coughs> Thailand, and Emmanuel went to live in the cave three or four years before myself there. And then, unfortunately, he got uh, Gengi fever, which is a mosquito bite, and the outcome of that was that he, he died in the cave. And Ajahn Po from Watsurmok was invited to go over there, because of course the lovely Zen monk who passed away and they found some drawings there in there, written on like a black pen on sheets of uh, large sheets of paper uh, there and these eventually went to what Suunmuk and the best known and the best loved of them is kind of very Buddhistic kind of uh, uh, statement it showed a monkey the drawing, hanging from the branch of a tree with the biggest smile imaginable there, swinging through the tree and the caption at the bottom of this drawing it was about uh, this big, the drawing said Oh what joy to know there is no joy in the world Could meditate on that for a few years it wouldn't be a bad idea Sometimes, I mean, it's not an absolute statement of truth, you know, pointing to something. That sometimes in life, we imagine or think what makes us happy is in the object, the thing there. And Emmanuel, I think, in a very lovely insight, says, Oh, what joy to know there is no happiness in the world, in the things there. Oh, what joy to know. Let's find some time while we're here to meditate, to give some reflection, to be mindful, and to really recognize and appreciate the happinesses which we know. Sometimes past, sometimes present, sometimes future. Sometimes with the form, the large statue, the forms of the meditation, uh, the forms of creativity and artistic expression, which are very important. And sometimes that happiness, of course, in the form of communication, in the form of relationship, in the forms of a retreat and much more. But equally here, just to recognize the happinesses which don't have a form to it. The happiness of love, the happiness of the silence, the happiness of aloneness, the happinesses of stillness, the happinesses of a really expansive consciousness. And as the Buddha said, and the highest happiness 
which is the knowing of an awakened life and liberation. This, he said, is the highest happiness of them all. Let's have a quiet minute together, shall we? May all beings know the happiness of the forms and the formless. May all beings know the happiness of love and aloneness and integration. May all beings know the highest happiness Thank you very much everyone for uh, lending uh, an ear. So uh, at this time Bowen and I have some uh, one-to-ones and then uh, Ellen again is uh, <coughs> leading the uh, circle walk uh, uh, there for those who wish and then at uh, 5.30 the, some food and, uh, <coughs> and the hot drink. Thank you, thank you.